Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. Well, today is going to be a little bit different. Um, as many of you know, the show is called Conversations That Matter because, well, we have conversations or I give a monologue about topics that matter to me. I think they're important. And um, one of the things I, you know, most of you probably don't know this in my audience, but I've started to develop a little bit of an interest and a curiosity um, in Russia. And um, I, I certainly am not an expert on Russia at all, but uh, I did listen to the audible version of War and Peace, which I, I, I am proud of that. It's one of my probably top five accomplishments in life because that's a very, very long uh, book. But, um, but, you know, Russia to me, it just has such a fascinating history kind of coming out of communism uh, still, you know, we'll find out today more about kind of where they're at now. But um, I think uh, th there's just so many things that I've learned that actually even parallel in some ways, the United States, obviously there's, there's a lot of differences, but uh, we're going to explore Russia a little bit today, if that's okay with you. So we have a special guest, uh, Justice. Um, I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself a little bit. Um, and then I'm going to tell everyone kind of how I found out about you, but uh, Justice is a missionary in Russia. He has a large, actually a larger than my following uh, channel on YouTube. So Justice, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, John, thanks so much for inviting me over. It was uh, always nice to get an invite from a fellow brother and just to be able to talk about, like you said, things that matter. So yeah, as you said, my name is Justice Walker and uh, my folks came over to Russia back in 1994, right after the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, and there were missionaries here in, in Russia and Siberia for six years. I grew up in Russia. So when we moved over here, I was 11. And uh, when my folks finally decided to go back to the States to end their mission, I had just turned 18. Um, I had a real serious plan. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who always likes to have like, you know, five-year plans for everything, seven-year plans for everything. Even back when I was a kid, I was like, I knew what university I was planning on going to, what college. I knew how I was going to get in. I knew how I was going to pay for it. I knew what dorm I was going to live in, what floor on what dorm, what professors were going to, you know, I, I knew everything. Like I had the whole thing written up by the time I was 15. And uh, when I was 18, when my folks decided to finish their, their mission, when they felt they needed to come home, uh, I did the normal, you know, uh, Christian young person thing it was like, well, I better pray about this. Cause this, you know, it's important to any big decision in life you need to pray about. So I went out in the woods and started praying about it. And I'm not one of these people who says that, you know, God woke me up yesterday and told me to put on black socks or something like that. Cause I don't think that the almighty God generally speaks like that frivolously. Um, but I had a serious encounter with what I believe to be the voice of the Lord telling me to come back to Russia. Um, went back when I was 18 and it was totally like out of blue air. I was totally not expecting that. So um, I changed courses, came back to Russia and, I've been serving as a missionary in my own right for the last 20 years in Russia. I spent four years in a big city doing orphan ministry and working with street kids and doing a recording studio and a couple of different projects. Um, 2004, I changed courses in the mission and went up north to uh, serve in small villages as a pastor. Uh, and that's been more or less the ministry that I've been doing for the last 16 years is starting, pastoring. Uh, establishing, raising up leaders and leaving those churches behind and repeat, 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 repeat um, for, for about 16 years now. Uh, 2010, we had always been trying to find different tent making opportunities. So like I taught English for to get additional income. I sold iPhones. I repaired computers. I did all kinds of different things um, to just make an additional buck. And uh, in 2010, 
I kind of was looking around like, I'm trying to do all these different things and I'm in the middle of a village and everyone kind of does subsistence farming. Maybe I should just like farm or something. And I'm, I'm not too brilliant sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I make up for my lack of brains with just simple like stick to it Um <laughs> So 2010, we started a, a little cow farm. Uh, a year later, we started a little goat farm and stuck with that for about five years, six years till 2016 really learned what we were doing, um, created a model that now we advocate for other people to use. Um, in 2016, I moved to a new location, started a little bit larger farm. Um, I call it a four family farm. So it's a farm that's big enough that can sustain four families. Um, there's four four of us that work together on the farm. And um, that's what we do now. We preach the gospel in the surrounding villages. We um, work the farm. I have the YouTube channel in 2015. Uh, we had some interesting geopolitical events that kind of conspired to make me famous as a as a strange, weird American guy who's farming in Russia. Um, <laughs> they were there. I saw so that. So yeah. that's a story in itself. Yeah, that's a story in itself. That's when I started blogging. Um, so I've been doing that for five years. And the Lord really used that as an as a tool to like people came to the channel originally because I had a really strange laugh and people thought I was kind of like the, the Mary Milkman, you know, that's like, Oh man, he's so funny. He's like a comic or something. But then they stayed around for the other things that I was trying to talk about. It ended up kind of being like a Trojan horse for the Lord. And um, since then our model of planting a church with a farm has been duplicated as far as I know. Uh, that people have actually gotten back to me and said, we have gone and done this using your model 40 different times. So aside from the six churches that we've planted ourselves, it's also had that success. So we're really, you know, blessed that the Lord has kind of expanded what we're doing and, and trying to live on the land, live with the people, preach the gospel in deed as well as in word. Um, and that's what we're all about. Wow. Um, Justice, I could probably talk to you for a long time and, and, and we don't have forever, but uh, there's so many things you hit on there um, that just fascinate me. Uh, I want to hear about this model, but um, but first, um, here's kind of how I found out about you. Uh, the, the viral video obviously was one of the things I saw, but my, my brother had sent me um, an interview that you had done. Um, I think it was with another American guy in Russia, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know because I watched so many videos of yours after that. I'm, it's getting fuzzy, but uh, but you're, you're a kind of an agrarian guy. Um, you have these great ideas on farming and I, I suspect a lot of my audience. Um, I, in fact, I know, cause people have gotten back to me. A lot of them live in middle America. Some of them are farmers and, and you're also, um, in Russia, which obviously formerly, um, Soviet union and just there, there's so many questions I have about that in doing ministry there. Um, and, uh, you know, I was watching one of your videos where you had, I think your daughters and a few friends, you guys were milking cows. And, um, and I was like, I was like telling my wife, I was like, you got to come in here. I was like, watch this. We could move to Russia. I was like, we could do it. We could, you know, we'll just do what this guy's doing. And she's kind of looking at me skeptically. Um, but, you know, yeah, well, Siberia, I, the land of great opportunity, man. <laughs> Siberia, right. Well, I've also seen this, this documentary called Happy People about Siberia, which, by the way, anyone watching needs to see this. Uh, which, which, you know, these people are like, well, they're way up there and you think it'd be miserable, but they're the happiest people. So you confirm that to me. Um, but so, so here's where, where I, I guess I want to start. You're, you're an American guy, you're living in Russia. You kind of got famous because the Russians, uh, the Russian news organization tried to use a clip 
they took from you to promote the idea that, um, uh, I guess, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The economic word, trying to uh, stop Sanctions. free trade. Yeah, go for it. Mm-hmm. What was the word you used? The I'm sanctions, sorry. Yeah. Sanctions, yeah. Sanctions, right. Sanctions were good and they worked and you were kind of like supporting that, but you weren't really saying that. They kind of used that, but it went everywhere and both sides were kind of like going back and forth depending on what you said. Like, he's on our side. No, he's on our side. Um, and now you have this platform kind of overnight as a missionary in a country where you're not from there originally. What What's that like having all these people kind of view you that way uh, as kind of a... Um, uh, you know, something different. Like you said, they thought you maybe were a comedian or something, but you, your mission is to share the gospel there. Was that kind of a surreal thing for you when that happened? It was, it was, a, it was absolutely surreal. Like it was, it was, and, and there's, a, it's funny because like one of the, one of the themes, the common themes that we see in scripture is that God takes our weakness and, and turns it into strength. He takes our ashes and exchanges it for beauty. And 2014 was one of the worst years of my life. Like, Starting from 2013 through 2014, we lost a baby. We, we buried a child on the local cemetery. We, you know, uh, some of the locals had killed one of our horses. Some of the other locals had killed some of our goats. We, we things were just not going good. Like it, it was, it was darkness inside of darkness. It was like the shadow, the the valley, the shadow of death at midnight. It was really bad. And and you know, you're out there. You're like what are we even doing here? Like we've got this little church and I know that I'm supposed to stay the course and, but I'm stuck in this village. No one's ever going to hear about me. Like if we, if the local, you know, good old boys get together and torch us tonight, like no one's ever even going to know about it for like, for a long, long time. Like it's, it's like totally, you know, what am I doing here? And um, just, you know, feeling the Lord again, not saying, but that leading of the spirit of just be like, stay the course, stay the course, stay the course. And so um, the sanctions happen. So, you know, Russia does the, the annexation of Crimea and the West respond with um, sanctions and the Russia responds with counter sanctions, kind of shoots themselves in their own foot with their own counter sanctions. And the, this news channel comes up and they're like, you know, um, you're a farmer. Don't, aren't you really in, in support of these sanctions? You're American. You're farming in Russia. Aren't you in support? And I'd be like, I had this 45 minute conversation where I was like, no, absolutely not. You know, competition, free markets, blah, 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 blah. And, and somewhere in there, like at the end, I made a joke about, well, there is one good thing, you know, before I couldn't even get my foot in the door because they'd be like mozzarella, mozzarella from Taco Chet, you know, mozzarella should come from Italy. And now it's like, well, now you don't have any of your Italian yeah. mozzarella anymore. Do you? <laughs> and that right. was like the five second clip that goes boom but it was surreal because it was like everyone was coming to the channel being like oh you know we love your laugh we love your laugh and it was like but i've been in darkness like this has been the saddest time of my life and yet everyone the whole russia knows me as this christian guy who's the merry milkman like that is the meme on the internet and right like that's that to me is is a beautiful thing like that's and how can you be happy how can you be joyful and it's like well the joy of the lord is my that you know the joy of the lord is my strength and that's and that's what i was able to, to share with people yeah. and again like i said it kind of ended up being a trojan horse of people came for that and then there was home education there was farming there was the gospel there was christ all of that that they got in in return uh from coming to the channel so um, it was strange, but, but God has turned it around for his own, for his own purposes. So protectionism didn't make you happy. 
it was no <laughs> it was it was something much deeper and that's what people came for um tell, tell me a little bit about just in general uh living in a place like russia where um i know there's the eastern orthodox church and, and everything i've heard now which is very limited is that the, the eastern orthodox church or russian orthodox church i should say is kind of on the rise they're building churches all over the place you know the military has this beautiful cathedral that was just built and there's almost like a revival going on of you know russian uh you know ancient christian tradition um i'm kind of skeptical of that but i, I wanted to hear from you like what tell us a little bit about um eastern orthodoxy i know you can't say everything but uh and then and you're obviously you're not that you're a protestant christian living there and what is that uh what's the mission field like ministering to people that have i suspect a cultural kind of christianity so yeah um russia is a very interesting interesting mission field in the sense in the sense that if you were to ask any russian on the street you know what religion are they you know what faith are they they would definitely say christian they would say orthodox um like just you know five out of ten seven out of ten eight out of ten people you stop in the street you know yeah we're you're, we're christian we're orthodox you know um and and so the weirdness in that is well, what does that mean you know well it means that i when i see an icon i cross myself and i have a, a cross on my neck that i was given when i was a child that's what that means Really? I mean, that's, you think that that's what the, the, the sum total of what being a Christian really, really means. And it's, um, it's like with any nation that has nominally received Christ, there is that, that fight of, he is not a Jew who's just a Jew outwardly, but one who is one inwardly, you know, and then saying, no, no, you got to actually follow Christ. And that's in some ways even harder than dealing with just straight up pagans. Like I spent, um, I spent a time working up in the far north, almost exactly in the back door of that place where they did the uh, the Happy People movie, oh, really? um, where we started some churches up there. Yeah, like exactly like that same area. Wow. Um, and uh, the the thing about that is that the the Evenk people, the the non Russian peoples that are up there, they're they're pagan, they're shamanistic, and that was wonderful. It was like, oh, you have your god, we have our god, and we don't even care about your god. And I was like but he cares about you and let's go back to Axe. let's go back to mars hill like <laughs> this is really awesome this is a, a, a way to start a new conversation and this is is an amazing thing but when you talk to an orthodox person is like jesus they're like oh yeah we know jesus and they're like uh you know god oh yeah we know god no no but you really don't <laughs> it's this really hard kind of thing um as far as the revival quote unquote that's happening russian protestantism is about one percent of the population if you were to ask the official statistics on russian orthodoxy they'd say about 30 percent of the population but if you were to actually go in and do a clicker meter on the on the weekly attendance um not people who claim orthodox affiliation but actually do the work which has been done by orthodox priests inside this inside the, the, the system they say it's about one percent um and so you see these buildings being built you see all this stuff going up it's caesar papism it's it's basically the government financing pushing money in through the church and trying to buy votes by by pumping up nationalism through a national church um it, you know it's it's that's what's that's what we're seeing so the so these churches are, are essentially empty or half empty then it sounds like they're not 
functioning. We have this, yeah, we have this wonderful, beautiful, you know, new temple in the uh, county seat, our county seat here in Solon National. Um, and it, it has, it's been there for 10 years. They have a regular attendance of 10 people. Um, that's the county seat. That's wow. 4,000 people in that, in that, in that town. The town that I'm next to is called the town of Stipnoia. It has 150 people uh, as population. I've been here for four years and we have 25 people coming regularly to our meetings. Um, you know, so that's just tells a, a certain story. Yeah, no, that's definitely eye opening. And there was someone who had kind of told me that, that you know, it's kind of uh, making headlines, but it's it's all fluff. There's really not much behind it. And you're kind of confirming that. Um, it sounds a little bit to me like uh, a little bit like if I was going to try to draw a comparison with the United States, um, that Siberia would be maybe like going up to New York City or something. I don't know, like a very godless area, um, the Northeast, Pacific Northwest. And then the South would be like a lot of the other parts of Russia where there's going to kind of a cultural understanding, but no reality. Um, would that be a yeah. fairest uh, comparison, you think? I think Siberia is, I, I, I think the rural urban divide um, holds true across a, a lot, a lot of times cross cultures. So mm -hmm. Siberia is a lot like your Midwest, a lot like your South, you know, the, the smaller urban centers, you don't have a lot of people. People are more conservative, even, in, even atheists, these are people who are completely godless, you know, like we're they're still like, you know, you should get married and stay married <laughs> and have kids. <laughs> it's like, well, why? And they're like, because uh, right. Well, yeah, that's right. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. so anyway, so so you have this, that urban, urban agrarian rural divide. Mm. It really is very meaningful and even even cross cross culturally. So Siberia is definitely um, culturally, politically, economically is very, very conservative. Um, whereas the western part of Russia, across the Urals, back that way towards Moscow, the closer you get to Moscow, the more rot there is, um, the more perversion, the more you know all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot like the United States, where you know you get you get you get out of arm's length away from the big cities, and you know the the stench kind of filters away a little bit. And <laughs> so that's a, I hear you. Um, no, I, I agree. Um, I, I got to ask you this. Um, because, you know, you, you read some of like uh, or or you probably see them live, some of these like Putin speeches where he talks about how the West is committing suicide with same sex marriage and uh, all, all kinds of immoral, especially sexual things that they're doing. And then he'll say, but in Russia, you know, that's not who we are. And it sounds really good to the ears of a lot of uh, social conservatives in the United States and in the West more broadly. And they look, there are people, I know some of them who, and, and I don't know that this is warranted, but there's, there's many who look to Putin as kind of like, he's going to be the one to preserve some semblance of what used to be Western civilization or some kind of a Christian influenced uh, civilization. Um, so despite the fact that these churches are empty, is there any sense of that where, where you feel as, as a Protestant Christian living there, you, the culture may be better for your children or that you feel more safe kind of that the threats that are facing the West aren't going to face you there? Or is that all a mirage as well? I've been living in Russia for almost 30 years. Um, so so 20, 26 years now, for 27 years. Um, part of that was as a child growing up, but still, you know, 11 years old and, and older, kind of aware of what was going on. And everything I've seen in Russia culturally 
has has happened like clockwork with a 10-year lag um so it it russia looks to the west the the west is the capital of the world like that's that's you know the west in general american particular new york washington dc specifically london you know that that is babylon right that's the the great uh, you know the the great symbol of of worldly power and worldly people no matter where they're at they look to that and they are amazed you know they're they're infatuated with that and so we can talk about oh you know those wicked people in america those sodomites those this those that you know whatever but in the end that's what you're trying to do you're 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 heading that direction because the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh the pride of life these are the things that the world are made up of and if you're worldly in russia you're still made up of those things worldly no matter where you're at so what i see is you know um the whole you know gay movement big things you know really just exploded uh with you know um gay rights and marriage in the united states what is that 10 years ago 12 years ago Um, real serious move for that yeah yeah you're right it was about 10 10 or 12 years ago uh and then it and then it ramped up and then you know you got marriage and and we see that starting to happen in russia like we start seeing your first gay rights parades it just takes 10 years give it 10 years Mm. and everything everything happens so um you know give it another 10 years and we'll be talking you know i don't know um social justice for those becks or something Uh, who knows um but uh, (laughs) so i don't see Putin as the great white hope or something, you know, I don't see Russia as the, as the, the, the last bastion of the, of Western civilization. Russia has always put itself in contradiction to Western civilization. Russia has always positioned itself, even in the Tsarist time as we're not East, we're not West, we're the double headed Eagle. We look both ways. We're something different. And this is something that the, that the, that the West needs to people who observe Russia from the West need to understand Russia is, has always been a kind of third way and it's not representative of the West. It's not representative of the East. Russia is a continent in and of itself. Look yeah. at the map, see the size, see you know, get that understanding. And, um, Putin is not some great hope for not the West, not for Christian cultural values, not Putin, not Trump. What is the hope? is the church is the church being the the church that's you know the city on the hill the salt the light the the people of god like that is the hope of the world and as long as as long just that i'm on i'm on a random keep going keep going keep going (laughs) just as long as we put our hope into something other than where our hope should lay which is christ and his body then then we're then we're going to be we're going to be deceived and that's Mm -hmm. that's the thing that we have to we have to be careful about I think the reason the question arises and why I even wanted to ask it is because um, as we see civil liberties being cracked down on in the United States, specifically to uh, propagate the gospel and to worship and in some municipalities uh, and in some states that there, there have been problems. Um, We look to Canada and we see even bigger ones. Uh, You know, you start asking the question like, well, is there a place that we can go and we can kind of do what you're doing, you know, raise our family, Mm -hmm. uh, in impurity and be able to homeschool them, be able to make the decisions parents should be able to make um, where we'll, we'll at least have the freedom to do that and have the freedom to go to church and worship the way that we want to. Cause, because that's the fear is that the, the ability will be, there'll be a lot of barriers to it to, to even do that. Do, do you, um, where, where you are, I know you're in more of a rural area and you're living this agrarian lifestyle. So it might be different than in Moscow, but do you feel 
somewhat, uh, you know, safe or, or I, that's not the word. Do you, do you feel at least um, that there will, that will be preserved for at least the foreseeable future where you are, that you'll be able to, to raise your family and have a church? Or do you think the, those threats are coming your way as well? Well, uh, first of all, when you talk about the erosion of civil liberties in, in the United States, that's from the perspective of a culture and a society that's, that's used to right. having rights and civil liberties that are like right. up here, <laughs> like at a, at, a, at a nine on a scale of, you know, one to 10, you're kind of like, you've always been up around a nine, you know, somewhere around there. And then, and then you look at Russia and you're like, they've never been up above much more of a four or five, you know, right. and you're like, oh man, we're losing our civil liberties, man. Maybe we should jump over there because <laughs> they're, they don't seem to be decreasing over there, but they're already lower than you are even in your decreased level. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. 2016, 2016, there was the, what's called the Yorovoy packet, which is a set, it was a whole body of laws that went into, that went into effect. They are colloquially vernacularly termed the anti-missionary laws and they basically put a kibosh on anyone who is not orthodox doing anything with any kind of proselytizing or trying to advance their mission 120 foreign missionaries have been have been have been deported since the beginning of the anti-missionary laws how did i not get deported um frankly i don't quite know other than the fact that a i've tried to be careful b i kind of popular on youtube and and deporting the mary milkman would look kind of bad um so i really it's it's kind of a it's kind of one of those situations but like um i'm probably speaking out of turn here but i regularly do things that should have already gotten me deported like and i know people who have been deported doing those same things so like it's not like you come over to Russia and you're like the land of the free or something. Um, right. I don't think America is that either. I think that's right. part of our mythos and that's part of our problem is that we've yep. decided that, you know, this is something that it's not, but Russia, you know, again, you have to understand that as a foreigner in Russia, um, as a Russian in Russia, you'll have far less civil liberties than you would even in the decreased civil liberty environment in the United States mm. as a foreigner in Russia, like, you know, you're a stranger in a strange land and, and that is, comes with its own, its own fears yeah. and its own um, set of dangers and, and that kind of thing. Home education is one of those things where Russia is still very free, but only compared to the most free country as, as, as home education goes in the entire world, which is the United States. So there are certain states in the U.S. where the restrictions are worse than, than in Russia. There are a lot of states in the U.S. where the, where the regulations are way easier than Russia. It really depends on what state you're in. Okay. Um, so that's, that's just another thing. And I guess the final thing that I'd like to say on that issue is America has a language and a culture of rights, civil liberties, democracy, whatever, all that kind of good stuff. Russia never has. And so any rights, liberties, democracy that russia has at the moment is kind of a byproduct of whatever else they're trying to do it's not an intentional thing so the american society intentionally gives you civil liberties and intentionally takes them away russia never intentionally gives you them and if they happen to get taken away that's also going to be just kind of an accident of you know how the society develops so you know that's kind of the way that i see that okay so don't come to russia to escape the secularization of the west you'll be disappointed <laughs> that's the uh the vibe i'm getting on that but there are i'm sure there's other reasons because you're there 
and you're, it seems like you're living a life that you're enjoying for the most part. And, and you, you're very passionate about, um, your, your farm and your family and, and living the life that you, you have there. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Because most people in the United States, even if they live in, you know, out in Oklahoma or something where there's they have farmland, they don't during the middle of their life decide, well, I'm just going to be a farmer, you know? So what kind of, I mean, did you just start getting, get into it? Cause you said, well, that's what most of the people in my area do, but then you loved it or, or how did that happen? It was kind of a couple of things. Like I said, we'd always been trying to do some tent ministry um, things and tent making, tent making, tent ministry, no tent making things <laughs> where we were, you know, working, we're trying to make little businesses that could help support the ministry help, you know, even if you have some kind of a missions income, even if you have something going on, then anything that you can do on the side augments that it, it gives you, you know, ability to do more, that kind of thing. So also trying to make sure that our ministry was self-supported from inside the country so that if I had to leave, if financing, you know, completely dried up for some reason, the, the, the work that I do isn't, isn't dependent on that. So that's kind of what we're, what we're always trying to do. And I'd gotten myself into a, to a big project, which ended up being a nightmare project. It was a, a sawmill. So we started making lumber and we were exporting to Germany and it was this big business and we had like 25 employees and it was like this big deal. And, um, and it was, it was, it, it would kind of gotten to where I was, I was more of a, of a sawmill operator than I was a missionary. And it was really driving me crazy, pulling my hair out. And I had this little garden and a couple of pigs in my backyard at my house. And I'd come home from the sawmill, like literally like just shaking from, from nerves and be like, ah, and then I'd go and I'd be like, feed my chickens and feed my pig and like work in my garden and like calm down. And then one day I was just looking around like, man, I like this. I don't like that. Maybe I should just be doing this. Like, you know, it was just one of those, one of those brilliant moments. So uh, that's kind of how, that's kind of how I got it. Like, I saw that I wanted something simpler. I saw that I wanted a, uh, what I call a home centered life. I wanted, I wanted something that when I did at that point, I didn't have a wife or kids, but when I did get a wife and kids, I wanted to be able to do something that I could involve my children with in my work and my life. So I also wanted to do this tent making thing. And, um, I started reexamining the scripture and Paul and Acts when he's giving his farewell address to the, the Ephesian elders, he says, you know what? manner of life I lived among you that I coveted no man's silver or gold or their clothing, um, but that I always worked with my own hands to provide for those who were with me and for my own needs, showing you that what the, what the, what the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he said that it's better to give than to receive. And I just like, it jumped out at me like I'd never with my own hands. And that was a, this is a sort of a size of business, I think. It's at least a hint at if you are in ministry, yeah, bivocationalism, sure, it works. It's great. But if you're in a situation where your secondary vocation, you know, your, the business that you're trying to run to support you has gotten to where you're, you know, managing managers and it's this big giant thing and you're no longer working with your own hands, you're probably in a space, in a headspace that you're not able to actually do the ministry. And I, I took that away from me personally. It's not something that I project on anyone else, but it's uh, something that I take away that, that that's, that's the size we want to, we want to stay at. So right now I've got the biggest farm that I think we'll ever have. It's the Ford family farm. And that's me and three other guys. And I do the milking 
in the morning. I also keep the books. I do, you know, PR advertising sales and, but I actually do the, the milking every single morning, every single evening, um, help process the milk. And then there's three other guys who do the other, other parts of the work and, uh, trying to keep that, that, that size that it, it feeds us. It's never going to be a big giant agrarian concern, but it's, it's going to be something that, that will that keep us going for, for the future. Well, it sounds like it's a good human scale kind of uh, situation where you're not yeah. Com- yeah, completely overwhelmed, but you can do what the main things the Lord calls you to. So, I mean, is this a kind of, I, I know you said you wouldn't push this on people, but sounds like it might be something you recommend people consider uh, the home education and uh, agrarian type of living is, I mean, if someone wanted to get into this, what would you, what advice would you give them? Well, the part that I'm not pushing on people is some sort of doctrinal position on right. this, what size a business need to be to be considered tent making. I think it's a real good um, sort of a test and a real good general recommendation. But of course, I'm not trying to say that doctrinally. What I am pushing on people like full on <laughs> It's home okay. education and jam it down <laughs> our so throats. Let's like, hear it. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we are totally, you know, we, we totally promote, um, you know, home education. Uh, and I, I personally believe that to raise a family, one of the best contexts, one of the best environments is either subs- like part-time farming where you're just doing it to uh, have an addition to your own, you know, budget, like as a help or, you know, small scale farming where that's actually your main source of income. I think that's one of the best environments to raise, to raise a family, to raise children. Um, I think it, it's, you can do it in other environments, of course, obviously, but it's in a, an agrarian setting and a farming setting, all the things that you want to have to raise children is natural to that lifestyle. Whereas when you're in an urban setting or a non-agrarian setting, you have to, you have to, intentionally do everything um you have to set up those kind of systems intentionally and that really that takes a lot of willpower and a lot of a lot of uh concentration attention and it's really actually rather hard to do home education um i've got a couple of basic arguments for that first of all i believe that any 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 institution is defined by its functionality so the institution of the family is defined by the function that it, that it serves in, in society, like in a, in a societal context. And one of those functions is the raising and education of children. It's always been that way for thousands of years. Only recently in modern civilization have we decided that we should export that um, particular function to society at large. And I think that it is a tragedy on the scale of socialism, fascism, or the potentiality of nuclear holocaust. Um, I think that we as the church, especially, but in general society, if we want to not go absolutely completely, you know, expletive, expletive, insane, um, we need to start raising our children uh, again. Uh, And this is something that is absolutely 100% necessary Mm -hmm. from simply a sociological standpoint. um, Studies have shown that home educated children do better in every single measurable metric across the board head and shoulders above their peers um as a cohort home educated children do better in everything um on 20 30 year studies of large cohorts so that's just a societal it costs less it's more effective that's just a societal argument the christian argument um the scripture admonishes us 36 times throughout the scripture that parents raise your children parents educate your children parents do this um never does the scripture admonish parents to send their children to the philistines to get their tools um you know sharpened um so (laughs) 
<laughs> this is something that I'm, I'm totally 100%, um, you know, like you're passionate you know, about crusader it. Crusader. Yeah. About. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Um, I mean, I, I was homeschooled, uh, through high school and, uh, it was a blessing. And I, you know, I remember what the main argument against it from other Christians was, you know, how are your kids going to get social so, socialization? And, but that's, that's in a society where people are having like one or two kids. So if you have more than that, they'll get plenty of socialization. And of course, if you have a farm, um, you know, there's plenty of animals to play with and you probably learn a lot of things that, uh, um, I mean, I mean, it, not to be crass, but you don't need sex education. Like, you know, all the controversy about, you know, what should the school teach? I mean, you're, you're watching the animals do what the animals do when you're on the farm. So, um, it just seems like a great context that you have for educating your kids and, um, I just, I was just intrigued by it. And I appreciate you sharing it with the world. I, a lot of people don't do that, but you film some of it. Um, you seem, you, you have, are you, are you a bit of a, a, um, a scientist or a tinkerer or an inventor as well? Cause I know you have some videos that I don't even understand cause I'm not in that world, but you, you have different methods that you use for growing food or composting and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm a, just a very curious person by nature. I'd, I'd like to think of myself as a tinker, but I'm, I'm really not much of that. I'm more of a broad scale researcher, research, 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 find the things that seem to work for other people and then just implement those things um, and collect different odds and ends, scraps of things that work elsewhere and implement those. I have had a few things that I've done um, myself, like for instance, I built an underground greenhouse barn that where the barn was the heating element for the greenhouse and all the convection and that kind of thing. I, I it, you know, worked on that myself. It was my own idea. But um, aside from things like that, most of the stuff that I do is just researching, finding things that work, implementing it, figuring out if it's going to work in our particular cultural economic context, and then, you know, trying to implement those, those solutions. Um, I, I, I do love learning. I love science. I love the whole, the whole process, the whole scientific method. Um, but I, you know, I'm trying to just use it to serve uh, our stuff. So we use different methods here. Like, first of all, we're hundred percent off grid. So we're, wow. you know, solar power, hydroelectric station, really? I put that all in myself. And um, then we also do like the garden. So we use like a, a non-till method for a garden, which is, kind of known in its hyped form as like the back to Eden method, which is otherwise known as just like massive sheet mulching. Um, I'm really heavy into composting. Uh, for a few years, I tinkered with um, John Payne piles, which is using compost to heat buildings um, and just different things like that, trying to find things that will work and, um, you know, bring those solutions down to a scale that's, that's doable in, in our particular context. Wow. That is fascinating. I didn't realize you were a hundred percent off the grid. So right now, as you're recording this in your studio, you're off the grid doing this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. We don't, there's no lines going to the farm. There's no, we don't have backup power of any kind other than just the, you know, the solar panels and the, right. And the, um, the hydroelectric station. So, oh my goodness. Well, that's, I'm definitely very much <laughs> on the grid right now. So, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to ask you about the ministry because I know we're kind of uh, the time's running short here. But uh, you said, and I, you you threw out the number forty, I think, before. How many churches have you planted? We, I personally was involved in planting or restarting six different churches. We've got another two, hopefully, come online this spring, right after Easter. Um, so that'll be eight. But right now we're at six that I've personally been you know, like hands on involved in, um, and then there's another forty that have look 
to the, the courses that we do online, come to my conferences, come to my seminars, taken the material, gone and done, and then come back and said, you know, a year later, whatever, you were the inspiration for what we did. We used your method. It's working, you know, that kind of report. Right. So uh, we don't have any kind of uh, formal training center yet or anything like that, that, you know, I can actually go down the list of, oh, these people were discipled by me and, you know, but people who write me later and say, we took what you taught, we went and we did it um, in the context of our own denomination, in the context of our own sending church, hmm. but we, we were inspired by you and we used your methods. That, that number's at 40. What's the, what's the method? That tell tell us what the method is that you're utilizing or you came up with or. So basically, I mean, the main, the main thing is, is, and, and this is none of what I'm going to say is going to be like earth shattering, crazy, like you just follow the Bible. Ideas, but <laughs> basically, I mean, you know, you don't want to be glib about that, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, the first idea is like Russia is, has a huge mission field, which is the, 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 the villages, the rural areas are the least evangelized, the most underrepresented as far as, um, Christian testimony. So if there are Christians in the city, their responsibility is to go to the rurals. Like this is, this is just a normal like thing. Um, and what that means is it doesn't mean going on the weekends out to some village and preaching like that might be a good place to start, but that's not what that means. What it means is you sell your apartment, you sell your goods and you move to the village, you buy a house. And then of course everyone says, well, then how do we, support ourselves because the villages the rural areas are very economically depressed and so the answer is you start a farm and they say well how do you start a farm and i say okay well here you go here's a, a basically a packing list of things you need to buy here's what you need to be looking at there's a couple of different three or four different options that we've really worked through that we know work you can start a goat farm you can start a cow farm you can start a you know mixed poultry farm um you could start a small greenhouse project and here's what you need to do to think about marketing here's what you need to do to think about raising your stuff and at the same time here's what you need to do to start your church and kind of working through that method of moving living investing yourself into a community preaching with your deeds first then preaching with your words, proclaiming the kingdom to that area, and and God and God gives results. So that's kind of in a in a nutshell the idea of a intentional bivocational ministry that goes into the rural areas um, to to start to start churches and preach the gospel. The rural church in the rural Christian church is a very long growing pl plant in Russia. Um, it's something that you plant and the seed for and you water it and you weed around it for you know about four years before you see a before you see growth um but that again that's part of the model i tell everyone you know you got to do these things and if you do these things regularly for four years then at the on, on fourth year you're going to see your result like if you stop on the third year you're not going to get any results if you don't do those things for three years four years you're not going to get results so um it's kind of that's the the, the method i got gotcha. you what would you, what advice would you give? And, and then, by the way, I don't want to just brush that off because that was very good and informative. Um, and I, and I want to get your, uh, contact or your website. Do you, I'll actually ask that now. Do you have a website that, uh, people can go to if they want to find out more about this method and, and, and everything, or is it just your YouTube channel? I've got two YouTube channels. Um, there's the Russian YouTube channel, which is, you know, you just go onto YouTube and write in 
Drzastas Walker in Russian, and then it'll come up. The first, you know, the the most one, the most uh, viewed ones will come up. In English, it's uh, www.thewalkerwitness.com. Okay, um, that will take you to uh, the English YouTube channel. I also have rawhomeeducation.com, which is my podcast, which doesn't have anything up yet because I'm a lazy and I haven't got anything done yet on that one. Keep wanting to start an English English podcast dedicated to home education and been a little busy with my other <laughs> stuff. So um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get some, get to doing that. But mainly it's the, the, the walkerwitness.com that takes to the English YouTube channel. A lot of people will say, well, you don't, have, don't seem to be, have a lot of stuff about missionary stuff in here. And that's because of the anti-missionary laws, people. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's more so about you, composting. It's about, you know, so you're taking a risk. Kind of stuff. Well, like, talking about this, uh, you know, because this will go on YouTube. I mean, that's kind of a risk in a way, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's everything is a, everything. It's like with COVID, like everything's a risk. You know, it's you, you take your like, ah, I'm not going to be crazy about like, oh, no, I'm never going to say anything. Like if somebody asks me, are you preaching the gospel right. in Russia? I'm not going to be like, no. I mean, <laughs> right, right, right. so, you know, there's but there's the difference between talking to John, you know, once in a lifetime, occasionally with somebody like that on YouTube and like every week coming out and be like, you know, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. Yeah. You know, here's Hi. what we're doing. You know, come arrest deport me. me. I'm a deport missionary. me. Deport me. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't be. So it's a different, different uh, thing. Oh man. Well, um, what kind of advice would you have for someone then who is, uh, wants to go to Russia, maybe do kind of what you're doing, um, but they're in the United States right now. I'm glad you brought that up because we kind of, we brushed over that real quick, that idea back a few questions ago, and it's good to circle back around to it. You know, uh, I am passionate for Russia. I am passionate for the Russian people. I love the country. I love the place. And there are a couple different reasons that people might want to think about coming over. Like I know that in the general population of, you know, you know, white Anglo-Saxon American Protestants, you look at like the Mennonites who in, in their own time, went to like Bolivia or whatever, Mexico to find land, start communities, farm, whatever. People are like, Oh, that's so crazy. And now it's like, Oh, you know what? No, maybe not so crazy, you know? Um, yeah. And the idea of leaving the country that you're in for, for a number of reasons to start a community somewhere or to continue a community that you're already in um, where you think you can do it easier, better to raise your family, to proclaim the kingdom. That's totally legit. Like don't think that you're going to run away from crazy collapsing West cause it's coming. Uh, the whole world is going to, you know, once Babylon falls, the, mm. the, all the merchants of the world will weep, right? No one's going to be left out of that bag of weeping um so don't think that you're going to escape the great collapse of the west that way but but it is a way to say maybe it's a uh, less expensive easier less nerve-wracking way of raising my family and and something yeah so maybe that's definitely a totally legit thing the other thing was like missions like you know um the state of the american church is not the greatest at the moment but it's still even in its you know beleaguered state a lot better than most places and the idea of going to a rural village or a place in Russia where there are no gospels being preached at all yeah. um, might be something that motivates people and like go to preach the gospel, you know? So um, yeah, come to Russia. We have land is super dirt cheap and you can start, start farming and for what you can sell your house for in the States uh, you can buy a village in Russia. So uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Come and see. Yeah, the Harris Kingdom. I could start a little uh, 
fiefdom. Um, no, that, that is, you know, I, it's just, I, I have to, I mean, my, you know, my wife, uh, you know, if I, if I really say the Lord's leading us here, she'll follow me, but uh, it's going to take some convincing to get her on board with the idea of uh, going to Siberia and living with the happy people, which is, you know, I'm like, Danielle, I mean, it's my wife's name. I'm like, look, look at these people. They're so, they seem so happy. And I'm like, and look at the happy milkman. He's happy too. They're all just happy, which is probably not true. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but this is the thing you said, the, the key word there is you said that you, you know, if you told your life, the Lord is leading us to go to Siberia, she'd follow. Yes. The main thing there is to make sure the Lord is leading you to go That's to Siberia. Like, absolutely right. And it's yes. not some romanticism of like, oh, you know, this looks so, you know, rural, romantic, cool, whatever, you know, that it's actually the Lord's leading. And that is the most important thing. Like, right. um, cause you know, God can, the Lord can show you, lead you as the head of your household to say, no, stand in the wall and, you know, speak unto Babylon. Let the, let the, uh, let the air, let the archers shoot Babylon. She is sick. She is ill unto death and there's no healing her. You know, who knows? Maybe that's your, your calling. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> well, well, I, I just, I'm fascinated by it and I'd love to come visit uh, Russia sometime and, um, and, and I'd love to see kind of the, the, I'm sure by that time, you know, you'll have a lot more churches and see the fruit of those labors. That's uh, I, I respect that a lot. Um, now I know you're a, your tent maker guy right now with, but is there, and you, and you gave us your website. Um, is there a place people can go to support you? I don't know if you're doing financially or if it's just prayer, you know, do you have like a, an email list or anything like that or. There is a, an email that we can put in the description. It's sent to Siberia, um, sent, and then the number two, Siberia at gmail.com. Um, that's my mission sort of connect contact point. I think it's the, the address you used to get a hold of me. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the, um, and people can write there if they want to get our newsletter, then I'll put them on that list. Um, and yeah, prayer Prayer is so many, so often in missions um, circles, it's like, please pray for us. And it's like code for like, give us money. <laughs> it's like, we can like, there's no amount of money that you can't spend, but like we are legitimately at this point, not in some need for, for money. Like there's a, there's a big project that I'm not at liberty at talking about right now. Um, but that's con directly connected to the missions um, mm. that we will need more financing for that. And that's, you know, but the Lord provides, but the main thing, the main thing is people who commit to praying regularly, daily for the harvest, for the work. There is the Russian government. If you're a Russian citizen, you can get subsidies for tractors. You can get grants for buying land. The Russian government will finance people to go out into the villages, into the rural areas and start their farms, especially if you're a Russian citizen citizen. And it's like, I had this naive idea back in 2010 of like, Oh, the reason why Russian Christians aren't going to the mission field in the rural Russian context is because, Oh, you know, they, they can't make money. It's like, of course they don't know how to support themselves. So I'll just learn how to do that and show them. And that'll solve that problem. And it was like, uh, no, actually it doesn't solve that problem because pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest field. That is the main thing. And we have a model that works. The Russian government's willing to finance um, projects. Like we can just infinitely duplicate this project, but you need people who will actually go. And so pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send his workers into the harvest. That is the number one thing, but be very careful about that because you know, what's the exact next verse that Jesus does when he tells his disciples to pray 
they start praying and he sends them out. So, you know, um, here I am, Lord, send them often turns into here I am, Lord. Oh, you mean me? (laughs) But pray, absolutely pray. That is the number one thing. And if, you know, being on our newsletter helps remind you to do that, definitely send to Siberia at gmail.com. I'll get you on the newsletter and um, pray, pray. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, uh, Justice. Uh, Walker and um, I'm going to put those links in the info section if people are listening and want to go check that out and uh, hopefully this was interesting it was interesting to me I think it was interesting to a lot of the people listening because uh, it, it's such a different world we hear about Russia but we uh, don't get to often talk to someone who's from the United States and uh, speaks our language that can relay some of this to us so um, I do have one just to satisfy my curiosity just one really quick last question do people in Russia when they hear you talk do they say you have an American accent um, before I was like, quote unquote, famous in Russia, if I didn't give out my name, like I sometimes have been known to use a pseudonym or Russian pseudonym. Like if I got on the train and went from Moscow to Krasnodar, it's a three day tra- or four day train, train ride, three, four day train ride. I could sit in the train compartment with people for three days and no one needed to know that I was, that I was an American if I didn't want them to. Wow. Um, so yeah, well, no accent, but that's that. Again, I cheated. Like I grew up in Russia. My parents <laughs> yeah. brought me over. So it's like no real big like uh, kudos to me. It's just that I grew up here. So that's like that's that's. that's well, I, I heard I think in one of your videos you were saying that like you never actually like took Russian. You didn't have to do anything. It was just literal immersion and you you have it, which is just amazing to me. Well, yeah. And um, just a real quick anecdote on that on that side of things uh, to get my Russian citizenship, which I'm really working on right now. Um, I just recently I had to go into this committee for like knowledge of Russian language. And so there's this like six people per panel and I go in there and, and they're asking me all kinds of questions and the secretary is writing things down. The clerk is writing things down and they're asking me this question and that question. What about Russian art? What about Russian music? And what do you like to listen to? And I'm just like, just talking, talking, talking. And, and they're like, you can see, they're just like, uh, they just keep asking more questions, more questions. And I'm just, you know, you know, machine and gunning it all down. Fine. Great. You know, all right, we'll come back in a week. We'll have the results of the committee. Um, in that committee, I'd said, you know, please don't try to make me write anything because I'm terrible written language. I never studied Russian formally. It's it's just totally immersion. Like, and, and so that kind of went by. Um, a week later, I go back, and there was a lady, the clerk from the committee. She comes out, and she's like, here's your paper, and I need you to come into my office and sign it and write a few things down. And so I, I go into the office, and she's like, you need to write here on this line, you know, I, I you know, basically, I, Justice Walker, hereby, you know, blah, 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 you know, a few words. Yeah. So I write it down, and she kind of looks at it, and she looks at me, and she says, man, you really don't know how to write. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, it is a hard language. So, you know, you, you have a little sympathy there. Uh, Cause I, I remember looking at, uh, you know, like I said, I had, uh, I listened to war on peace on audible and then I was looking at like an online, like here's it's, it's, it's like three times as big in Russian because the words are so long. And, uh, I was like, yeah, it's, man, it's a big book. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, that would be so hard to, to trudge through all of that in Russian. But, uh, Hey, um, you know, sounds like you're on your way and you'll be a citizen soon. So uh, premature congratulations on that. And uh, Well, you know, God willing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll pray for that. Um, and uh, if Absolutely. anyone's, uh, like I said, curious about hearing more about Justice Walker, check out the info section. There's some links there. Hey, God bless you, uh, Justice. I appreciate you giving us your time. John, thank you so much. God bless.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.